This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear Jasper Reynolds, Randy Neighbors, and a few special guests introduce a new approach to welcoming struggling neighbors into our church communities. Randy is coordinator of Urban and Mercy Ministries for Mission North America, as well as serving on the coordinator of the New City Network. Jasper is a deacon at First Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga, which recently piloted a new diaconate-led ministry called Rafa that seeks to build relationships with neighbors in need. While conventional mercy ministry relies on financial handouts, Rafa invites neighbors in need into healing relationships with a loving church family. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2023 General Assembly. Let's listen in as Jasper, Randy, and a small team from First Pres invite us to replicate their model of welcome and support for struggling community members. Thank you for being here today. My name is Jasper Reynolds. I'm joined by Paul Laskowski. We're both deacons at First Pres of Chattanooga, and we're joined by Martha Meeks. She is one of our ladies at First Pres of Chattanooga. And Randy Neighbors, he's our pastor of outreach. Um, we've, we've been asked to share with you a little bit about our diaconate's journey uh, in becoming a more welcoming church to the materially poor. So by all accounts, First Pres is your typical PCA church, uh, maybe a little bit more on the economic affluent side. Uh, however, because we are providentially situated on a large downtown thoroughfare in Chattanooga, We experience a steady flow of socioeconomically disadvantaged uh, people throughout the week asking for help. So we have developed a unique approach to assisting our neighbors in need, which we're told is very atypical of the PCA. So, And word has gotten out also about that on the street in Chattanooga. Uh, Before we begin, I wanted to frame our comments here today uh, by reading two relevant scripture passages. I want to share this with you today from Acts 3, verses 1 through 7. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. 
in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And next, John 11, select passages. So when he, Jesus, heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then Jesus told him plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Um, Fifteen years ago, we at First Pres were accustomed to being awkwardly caught off guard uh, by walk-in emergencies. We weren't always sure how to help someone we didn't know. And we honestly spent hours spinning our wheels, uh, helping in really unhelpful ways. The deacons were asked then to develop a better process. Actually, we didn't really have a process. Uh, We simply reacted to emergencies. That's what we did. Uh, In working with our amazing partners at the Chalmers Center at Covenant College and the New City Network and MNA, uh, we discovered what we believe was a more gospel-bearing, a gospel-fruit-bearing, rather, way to do mercy than by dropping everything we were doing and trying to solve an emergency right now and giving away thousands of dollars in handouts. So for a typical PCA church, I confess, today we're not exactly addressing poverty the PCA way. Uh, Of course, we do as a church financially support some vital poverty relief and poverty development ministries, such as Hope for the Inner City and Salvation Army and so on. But our diaconate is actively seeking to be personally involved in, um, in addressing poverty by including the poor in congregational life. Whether that's ministry together, life together, uh, in leadership, in a non-paternalistic way. We are seeking to include the poor, not service them. So, we'll, we'll be honest, that can be a dance. Um, we're also volunteers, all of us on our team, except for one paid part-timer who's actually a graduate of our Rafa Fellowship. So maybe First Pres isn't your typical TBA, uh, PCA church after all in all this, but we do want to share with you our journey, and since we only have a short time today, uh, our presentation is not designed to answer every question about church benevolence. Uh, it's also not going to cover our process for helping our members. They're on a different socioeconomic scale and uh, their needs are, they need, uh, the needs look different. Today, rather, we're going to retrace our steps as a diaconate uh, to not be deer in headlights in responding to our neighbors in need who are stuck in systems and cycles of poverty. So as you listen, I hope you'll detect our earnest attempt to be transparent about our many mistakes and lessons learned. Uh, the bottom line is Matthew 25, the passage with the sheep and the goats. Jesus identifies himself very closely with the poor, and so we as a diaconate seek to build those relationships with the poor. So let's get started. Uh, If your church is anything like ours, uh, you probably have resorted at some point in time to a policy like this. Can y'all read that? Can everyone read that sign in the back? Can you read that? Okay, so... um, what, do, what message do churches, we churches often communicate to our neighbors in need with signs like this? By the way, it's a real sign, not one that we created. 
What message are we, are we communicating to our neighbors in need? Yeah, we're closed. Keep out. Be on your best behavior. Do not disturb us. Please wait here until you're called forward. Uh, what message could we be sharing with our neighbors in need? Uh, I think it helps to understand, first of all, who is our neighbor? And by the way, I'm sharing our story at First Pres. Who is our neighbor at First Pres? And uh, what do they need? And how can we as a church help? Uh, I want to share with you who is our neighbor at First Presbyterian Chattanooga. On average, seven people each week seek help uh, in crisis with basic needs. They face evictions, utility disconnects, and empty covers. That's about 350 people a year. About 10% are homeless, 90% unemployed or underemployed. Uh, It's a mix of unbelievers, those requiring spiritual milk, and those craving solid spiritual food. The majority, we, in our experience, were raised in churches where legalism was the norm. And the majority, to us, appear to lack a basic grasp of the Bible's message and teachings. And roughly right now, we have about 25 to 30 who attend First Pres worship or adult classes every week. So, um, that is a snapshot of our neighbors who seek our church every week. Now, what do they need? Um, I'd like us to answer this question briefly together. A few of you, throw out some of your first answers that come to mind. What do you think our neighbors need? What do you think our neighbors need? Can you, everybody hear the question? Okay. Okay, food and spiritual help. Good. Christ the Lord. Yeah, Amen. Education, skills, these are all great answers. One more in the back. Stability, excellent, excellent. Um, These are awesome answers and observations. Here's some of the needs that we've identified as a diaconate. Stability, right? Hope and purpose. Spiritual growth, grace, discipling, fellowship and acceptance. Uh, Did you notice anything missing? Money. That's right. So here's the question we began asking ourselves as a diaconate. Uh, With so many other needs, why were we reflexively making mercy all about money? Uh, So today in our church, we're doing mercy a little differently. We have traded, we're learning how to trade still, handouts for healing and we call that Rafa. So what is Rafa? Uh, Rafa is Hebrew for healer or healing. And how do we do mercy with healing? So let's follow that journey together through some of the questions that we as a diaconate have faced. Paul? All right. So I'm going to present some of the typical scenarios uh, that we've had to uh, reckon with as as uh, deacons at First Pres Chattanooga, and, uh, and lessons that we're learning from uh, making mistakes along the way. Uh, so here we go. Um, first question, what are our neighbors in need asking for? Help with rent, utilities, and fuel. That's, 
the most common. Sometimes a motel room for a night or two. What about biblically sound advice on job search, financial management, or relationship with Jesus? Well, rarely. And so we're having to learn that the presenting request does not often reflect the actual need. A second question. How do our neighbors in need feel the first time they set foot in a large, unfamiliar church? Are they glad to be in a church with a worldwide reputation for Bible teaching and evangelism? Are they eager to exploit unsuspecting rich people? Do they feel isolated or inferior or ashamed of that place of poverty? At least for these visitors, it's rarely the first one. We have to be cautious about the second one, but it's not the motivation of most people we see. And so we are having to learn to challenge our assumptions about the motivations of our visitors. What about on Sundays? If someone's asking for help that day, during our time of worship and teaching, do we alert the pastor or maybe the security guard? That one's up there because we used to do that. So is that one. We just ask, if, do you need money? Is that what you're here for? Do we ask their name? Do we clarify boundaries and invite them in? And what do I mean by clarify boundaries? Well, in this case, something like Sunday is our day of worship. Could you call tomorrow for a deacon appointment? And right now, can I introduce you to my friends in Rafa? We have our Sunday school class going on. Will you join us? That's helpful, right? The others have not proven helpful. So we're having to learn to connect and to invite and maintain boundaries rather than fall on one side or the other of that particular line. What about Wednesdays? Our church does a Wednesday night dinner and fellowship. Uh, yours may be uh, some other time of the week, but what do we respond then if we see a, a neighbor perhaps eating dinner alone? I've done this, wave, and then go sit with your friends. Maybe keep an eye on them in case there's trouble. Or introduce yourself, learn their name, ask if you might sit together, whether that's there or they were alone, or yeah, I'm planning to sit with these folks over here, will you join us? Again, we've learned through painful experiences what's helpful here and what's not. We're having to learn to consider others' needs more highly than our preferences or our fears. We do our deacon appointments on Wednesdays. Uh, during those appointments, what if someone is looking for help with a, a very large utility bill? $600. Or rent that's behind, you know. <clears throat> Offer to pay a portion of the bill? Maybe this. Encourage them to get a job. Quit smoking. Eliminate other wasteful spending. 
or in our case now, listen to their story and pray together and invite them to stay for dinner and to give Rafa a try. We have found that first one unhelpful. The reason it's labeled unhelpful is because of what we've come to realize the needs are. Right? That there's often that difference between the presenting need and what's really going on. And so in this case, how do you do that? We're having to learn to engage in a process of helping rather than trying to fix in one sitting. Not always comfortable. What about if a neighbor in need has no place to stay the night? I mentioned that sometimes comes up. Call around every local shelter. I remember some late evenings of frantic phone calls. Sometimes resorting to putting them up, up for a night in a motel. <clears throat> or explain that our church isn't equipped to address emergencies and invite them to stay for dinner and fellowship with Rafa. Can you feel the tension inherent in that last response? What about the need? What about the need that was there? And so let me clarify on that last one. We do also reach out. Connect them with someone who is connected in the community in that way, who provides for those particular needs. But for us, we're having to learn to partner with other ministries instead of tackling all the needs ourselves. And so that requires networking and getting connected in your city and, and uh, getting to know people that know what's going on around town uh, for providing these kinds of helps. What about... <clears throat> Deep breath. On the street, how should you respond if a neighbor in need asks you for $25 in gas money, shows their photo ID and a job application, explains they worked the late shift at the hospital and their car broke down and they have no way of getting home where their brother on disability is being evicted after their girlfriend stole their rent money and... What if there's a complicated story? Just give them money and move on. Or... Pay attention. Listen carefully. Try to make sense of all the details before deciding how to help. Or, starting that process, ask their name, hand them a Rafa appointment card, and invite them to meet with a deacon. This is what we found to be helpful. Now, after we have some things in place, because we're having to learn not to exhaust ourselves with felt urgency. If we take that on, uh, we're all going to need help, you know, (laughs) which actually we all do, spoiler. So how are we applying these lessons we're learning? What is our diaconate's process for responding to a neighbor in need. You've, you've seen hints at it. Um, we have the front desk schedule Wednesday appointment, appointments with deacons who are scheduled to be there during that time on rotation. A deacon hears their story and shares the gospel and offers to pray with them um, and invites them to stay for dinner and give Rafa a try, give, give uh, the fellowship classes that we host a try and see what that community is like, see what's going on at our church. How are we helping? 
We're building relationships in Rafa classes where we explore God's design for relationships and work and money, 12 weeks each. Uh, that's the curriculum part of the, that long, early title uh, that, that, you, uh, that you saw at the beginning. We're building relationships by eating together at Wednesday supper and sitting together during Sunday worship. And we're building relationships by helping occasionally with upfront aid, uh, but mostly with earned rewards for completing Rafa classes. How might our neighbors in need begin feeling after a few weeks in Rafa? Kind of hearkening back to the question of how do you feel when you first step in, right? After a few weeks, again, this is a process. This isn't from day one or week one or two, but a growing sense of belonging and community or a connection with the church, with our church, it's humbling to say. More open to hearing God's word on relationships and money and work and eternal life for some of them. And more focused on those deeper needs and more clarity about those and on forming relationships to help meet those needs rather than that request for money that was the, the leading foot. And what about us? How has our deacon-led team begun feeling as we wrestle through poverty relief together? For one, greater self-identification with King David's words in Psalm 40:17, as for me, I am poor and needy. A greater sense of unity as a diaconate and camaraderie and purpose as we are living out, as we're active in our biblical role. And also less anxious about failure as we persevere, as we keep experimenting, and as we continue learning what works best. Um, I would like to introduce to you next two uh, of our leaders within Rafa, Pam and Martha. My name is Pamela Adams. Um, I'm the administrative assistant for Roth at First Prez, and I've been here in this job for almost two years. I love being here at this church, First Prez. Um, this is my safe place. My home is my safe place, but when I'm here, I feel safe and I feel needed. And I don't feel that a lot before I started coming here. Me and my grandson, Hayden, we were left alone. I needed some help with rent and so forth. Um, so I called First Prez. And they said to come in for an interview with a deacon on call. So they made me an appointment. And we came here and we spoke to John McBride Doc. And I started the classes the following week. And they were just talking about setting goals and budgeting and how to put so much aside and quit wasting on this and this and this. I was scared that I couldn't do it when they showed me how easy it was to eliminate certain things and, you know, make things certain things important, then it became easy. I've paid my bills on time. Um, I'm saving money. I have a banking account um, that I can keep up with. I quit spending on things that me and him sh don't have to have. I realized when I did the life map through Faith and Works, there was things that I went back and saw about my life, and I changed some of those things. And so it's, um, it's helped me tremendously. I graduated, and they asked me if I wanted to do it, and it's a great opportunity. 
I co-facilitated Faith and Works and Faith and Finances, teach Faith and Works now, and I have teached Faith and Finances. I had the problem with uh, looking at people, and so I was shy and I couldn't get my words out. But I learned the next time around, I did better. It was an experience that I'll never forget, and I'm learning, I'm still learning. I've grown to be with these people and grown close to them and know what they're going through because I've been there. And we've become friends. Even though we offer a reward for each week that they come, they want the help, yes, towards a bill, but they sit in the classes and they finally learned how to do a budget, how to manage their money, even though if they make a lot or they make very little. They've learned how to do that and they've graduated and they're still using it today because they've called me and said, thank you for teaching me. And so I think they're getting a lot out of it, especially even in relationships. I mean, they're making new friends. You know, we're their friend, even as facilitators and co-facilitators, we want them to stay here even after they graduate and be a part of this church and be a part of our family. So they're getting a lot out of it. Thank God brought me and Hayden here for a reason. And I, I know what that reason is. I mean, I made some good friends, um, graduated from classes, training, working in the office now. I'm becoming a member here on the 31st. I'm excited. Um, I'm anxious because it's been three years. So I'll actually be a member of a church that I haven't been in a long time and I won't have it any other way. Hey everybody, my name's Martha. Um, I have notes. I'm not good at notes, so um, I think I'm just gonna start talking. So, um, so in um, 2016, I came off the streets after being homeless for seven years, and I was drawn to First Presbyterian by a flyer that was promoting Rafa. Had no idea what it was. Um, I got involved and I stayed. Um, I became a member in 2019. I now co-facilitate faith and relationships with uh, a few other people on our team. Um, I had broken relationships. I had no relationships. I was born into poverty to a mother who had a, a very severe form of mental retardation. So we didn't have our basic needs met and we were taught to isolate and keep to ourselves because of the shame that came with being poor, um, financially, monetarily poor. Um, so um, when I came to First Press and these people started loving on me, I was the one that was saying, okay, they're not really serious. They'll get sick of me. They'll get tired of me. Everybody always does, right? But that didn't happen. They just grabbed on tighter and tighter and tighter. And now they're my family. I am an orphan. I have no brothers and sisters. I'm actually an orphan. So um, my family lives up the street from me, Melissa and Chad Quinn, who were my mentors when this first started. Um, my prayer partners are my church members. 
I also serve on other ministries at First Presbyterian. I volunteer my time. I've done it for years, and I, and I hope to continue to keep doing it. So I would like for us to all ask ourselves, because I still ask myself this, you know, what do I have to give? Because um, I don't want to take. We all have something to give. I didn't think that I had anything to give because I didn't have any money. I had no idea the gifts that God had given me. And I am seeing them come to fruition every day. So as pastors and pastor's wife and supportive staff, you know, what can you do to implement Rafa into your church? Because I promise you, within two blocks of your church doors, somebody needs you. Somebody is hungry. Somebody is lonely. Somebody is on their last breath, and they need somebody to talk to just to love on them. You know, a lot of us know Jesus. You know, we, we had enough exposure to Scripture that to grasp onto a relationship by the grace of God through VBS when I was 11 and a half years old. So um, don't just assume that that homeless person doesn't know a thing about God or else they wouldn't be homeless or begging because they might know him better than you do, just to be honest. Thank you. Thank you, Martha, and thank you, Pam. Uh, Brothers and sisters, uh, these two women are for real. These are real-life examples of what God is doing in our church through Rafa Fellowship, Uh, and they are both our co-laborers in Christ both of these ladies. Um, I want to summarize some of the, what we have learned. And by we, I mean our, our deacon-led team. Um, we, Rafa includes deacon appointments, a fellowship meal, and biblically-based uh, small group classes. And how we interact with our neighbors in need We ask their name, we clarify boundaries, and we invite them in. Um, In our church, we see God using Rafa to heal relationships amidst poverty, shame, and brokenness. Uh, We really have set out to trade handouts for healing, and that to us is mercy. In closing... I want to say a couple things that we have discovered that our neighbors in need are not problems to be fixed, but they are, or or, nor are they people to be serviced, but they are potential to be unleashed for the kingdom of God. You heard from Pam. You heard from Martha. Uh, And this gives us as deacons permission not to panic about emergencies. Jesus did not panic when he heard the news of Lazarus. We don't wring our hands deciding how much money to give. We've discovered, frankly, that true emergencies are rare, which has been the single most challenging mindset for our congregation and for our deacon team to overcome. Uh, When we view our neighbors in need as potential for the kingdom, it really does lead us to build and invite closer relationships. Uh, we, do, we ask their names. We clarify boundaries. We invite them into fellowship with God's church. Your church has something that everyone needs. 
Uh, it allows us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, to fellowship with hurting people, and to add new members to our church who have gifts and skill sets that I don't and the rest of us don't. Uh, and as Martha said, who are sometimes more intimate with Christ and more passionate about the gospel than we ever dreamt we could be or thought we were. Um, I want to invite Randy Neighbors, our pastor of outreach, to close us out. He has an invitation for you, and I think you received one as you walked in the door. Thank you. We will have a time for uh, some questions, so you might be thinking of them. A couple of things. Um, in God's mercy, First Press is a resourced church, so it, it does have funds by which to give a meal, and some churches don't even have that. So that's one thing you should think about. We also uh, give a financial reward uh, for folks who come. How much is that? So you, you complete a class, and you get how much? Uh, it varies, but let's say roughly 50 and under, depending on what class. So $50 and under if you complete a class. So you have to figure out what your church budget might be able to afford. I would encourage you to think about that as viable. It's a financial incentive. And when people do come to you and they say, I need help, and you say, well, we're going to give you a curriculum, and that's all you give them, that's not always encouraging. But please understand the strength of this program. That fellowship meal is a very powerful thing. It's powerful both for the people who come and powerful for the members of our church because they get to interact with folk, and they become friends. And once you establish community, it changes a lot. But financial reward for coming and help with bills is still active from the, from the deacons. So this is not an attempt to say, we're not going to give you any money. We're just going to teach you. We do what Presbyterians do best. We teach. Okay? And the great thing is you probably have somebody in your church who said, hey, if I had that curriculum, I'd love to teach it. Well, I, just quickly, let me just tell you that God has blessed the PCA. We have a history of some very wonderful people who've helped in mercy. One was Tim Keller. Tim Keller wrote some excellent books on the ministry of deacons and on mercy. And that gave a lot of our churches a foundation about how to look at it. Uh, Hurricane Katrina was a gift to the PCA because it mobilized a lot of our churches uh, in relief and help. And, and, and churches all of a sudden woke up to the fact we have neighbors who have material needs. And so our disaster response ministry in M&A is, is just an amazing thing. Um, so we, we've had men like David Apple at 10th Presbyterian Church who did great work as a deacon there in the inner city of Philadelphia. So we have uh, Brian Fickert, Dr. Brian Fickert, who uh, is on the faculty at Covenant College and created this thing called the Chalmers Center that has produced this great curriculum that we use in Rafa. And so what we're trying to do today is to advertise the idea that these are tools you could use. Now, these are not too hard for you. 
You can do them. You might have to do them on a smaller basis, but there's stuff you can use. And so uh, a couple of things just to, to sort of give you an advertisement. Uh, we have an opportunity for three or four churches uh, who maybe have a three or four person team uh, to equip you to launch Rafa in your church and to build relationships with the material poor. These deacons really would love to infect you with their ideas. They would love to spread this work and, and use it as an opportunity for you to see how effective you could be at helping the poor. It includes practical training, customizable components. It's a great phrase. I like that. And a faith and finance license from the Chalmers Center. So in other words, uh, Chalmers has this curriculum. They like to license people by getting them trained in order to do it. You can get that done uh, through this relationship. It's scheduled for 12 consecutive Wednesdays starting August the 23rd. Okay, did you want to write that down? Make a note. Um, It's on your card. Very good. It's remote learning. It concludes with an in-person day-long session on November 8th. And there's a $750 per team registration cost and pre-qualification process. So it's got to cost you money to play, right? But if you do it, it'll be well worth that investment. So it might not fit for every church, but it's ideal if your church already has a team of at least a pastor, a deacon, a leading woman and or elder who are ready to take the next step. Some of you may have people in your church saying, Pastor, why don't we do something? How can we help the poor? This is a very practical step in order to do that. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.